Good evening, good evening. Welcome to Leadership Night. Growing leaders, building leaders, to be all God has called us to be individually and to fulfill the vision that God has given us as the church. We're excited to do that tonight. You know, I just want to start out by saying I'm becoming more and more convinced lately in just the the daily uh, things that go on here, the weekly things that go on in ministry and and just speaking to, to people all over the church, that there is what I believe to be a leadership anointing that is on this church, a leadership anointing in the sense that things are seeming to flow naturally by the Spirit. People are raising up strong. Wisdom is being poured out of people on a continuous basis, which is evident to me that it's being poured in, obviously. And I'm just so excited about that. I just believe that we are in a time and a season where there's a true leadership anointing on this house that God has given us that is necessary for us to fulfill the call and the vision that he's placed on this house. So if you're excited about that, say, I'm excited. excited. I want to start, begin by just kind of asking you a question. Have you ever thought about before, I know I have, have you ever thought about how it's interesting in the Bible that we see so many times and so many places that the Bible encourages us to be bold in our faith and to be confident and bold in who we are in Christ. But at the same time, there is plenty of scriptures that are telling us to walk in a constant spirit of humility and to be humble in all that we do. Now, would anybody else admit, like me, that you've wondered before how you could be bold and confident yet remain humble and in humility all at the same time, how those things could coexist, right? You know, I know I've thought a lot about it. And in the better part of 2000 to 2010, I spent most of my time uh, building several different businesses, and I was exposed to a lot of leadership training, sales training, a lot of business leaders. And so I got a lot of really practical advice uh, from the world standard, you know, in business that related to success, a lot of motivational speeches, things like that. And to a degree, most of them were fairly helpful. Uh, but, you know, there were some things that I would hear from time to time that just sort of ch- had a check in my spirit about. Maybe they didn't quite register. For example, one of the things I heard a lot was that you've got to be so confident in the way you come across to people. They've just got to know that you are going where you say you're going. In fact, you've got to be so confident that it's borderline arrogant. Borderline arrogant. I remember hearing that thinking, I don't know, something about that just doesn't register. Nevertheless, I was still that way, okay? I embraced it and, and I walked it out. And, and, you know, to a degree, uh, felt like it was a successful approach. But as I began to venture deeper in my walk with the Lord and reading my Bible, I began more and more to get challenged with things that at one time I felt to be so certain, that I was so sure uh, about to be true. And, you know... I remember reading a lot in Romans and, and starting to get the revelation about when Paul talks about the renewing of the mind. And I started to see that 
even though I had been saved, redeemed, and I had received my salvation from, from heaven, from God, through Jesus Christ, by his grace, that I was also still very much a work in progress, if you will. That there was a certain uh, element of sin and corruption that was a part of my fleshly being, that even though inside the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit dwelled in me, was perfect and pure in every way, it still was surrounded by this fleshly tent of imperfection and corruption. And I began to see that through the idea of the renewing of the mind that I needed to go about the business of constantly growing and improving myself and, and shaping the way that I viewed things. And I began to lose a lot of my trust and confidence in the things that I learned that the world taught me and began to put more and more trust and faith in the things that the Word taught me. So as I began to get more bold and confident in what the Word said, I began to be less confident in the things that the world said. Am I making sense? So in Ephesians 2.10, the Bible says that we are Christ's workmanship. Now, I don't know about you, but I interpret that to mean that we are a work in progress, right? His workmanship means that he is the workman, we are the workmanship, and he is ever at work in us, molding us and shaping us to be his masterpiece at the final day of redemption when we go to meet him. But prior to that, all of the days that we walk this earth, it will always be that shaping and that refining that needs to go on. In 1 John 1.8, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So it's really clear that, yes, we are saved by grace. And from the very moment we accept, confess with our mouth and believe with our heart that Jesus is Lord, we are bound for eternity in heaven with God. But there is still an element of sin that presides over this Holy Spirit that dwells in us that we need to be at work about dealing with. In fact, let me read to you some commentary from that scripture by Matthew Henry. This is what he says about 1 John 1.8. It's brilliant. He says, The Christian religion is the religion of sinners, of such as have sinned, and in whom sin in some measure still dwells. The Christian life is a life of continued repentance, humiliation for and mortification of sin, of continual faith in, thankfulness for, and love to the Redeemer, and hopeful, joyful expectation of a day of glorious redemption in which the believer shall be fully and finally acquitted and sin abolished forever. So not until that time where the final day of redemption occurs for us are we ever totally free from the sin nature that exists in this fleshly body and in this fleshly world. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Telling us, charging us, commanding us that we are to ever be about the work of letting God deal with us and refine us and to purge the sin nature that exists in this human body. I want to talk to you tonight about dross and briars. 
In fact, that's actually the title of my message. I don't suppose it would make a lot of sense right now, but if you'll allow me to unpack this over the next number of minutes, I believe that it will produce a level of understanding that I hope will bring about a revelation that will, uh, we will grab hold of deep in our heart and in our soul that will allow our lives to be ever transformed by this truth that is evident to us in the Word of God. Dross and briars. Dross is basically the impurities in silver and even other metals. You know, you have a perfect piece of silver. That means there's nothing but silver in that rock. But there's always an element of impurity and imperfection that has to be purged out of silver. And when they heat it and they melt it out, and the silver keeps its composition, but the dross melts away, it sheds off, and they, it's basically like slag, and it breaks off, and then the silver is refined. The Bible talks a lot about silver and dross, uses words like refiner and silversmith. And when it talks about this, you'll see a pattern through Scripture if you read over all of the different verses where dross basically represents the impurity and the imperfection that exists inside of us, in our human body, and also in in the world. The silversmith is God. He's referred to as the refiner and the silversmith, and we are the silver. Let me read out of Malachi 3.3. This is in the Message Bible. It says, He'll be like white hot fire from the smelter's furnace. He'll be like the strongest Lyle soap at the laundry, He'll take his place as a refiner of silver, as a cleanser of dirty clothes. He'll scrub the Levite priests clean, refine them like gold and silver until they're fit for God, fit to present offerings of righteousness. Then and only then will Judah and Jerusalem be fit and pleasing to God as they used to be in the years long ago. So this idea that there's a need for purging and purifying and to bring out the imperfections in us in order to be presented to God one day in that perfect state. You know, it's interesting because dross, it's purged from within. It's sweated out, right? And it's, it's done through the fire and through the flame and through the heat that God himself is the refiner produces and watches over in our lives. In Isaiah 125 in the New International Version, it says, I will turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all of your impurities. You know, silver has more value once it has been purified and refined, right? In fact, in Proverbs 25.4, It says, take away the dross from silver, and it will go to the silversmith for jewelry. So as the things that exist in us, the sin nature, the corruption, the the off perceptions that we have about things, even after we receive this this Holy Spirit to live in us, that these things, as they begin to purge out of us and, and melt away, and no longer be a part of our internal composition, allow us to be more effectively used for God 
and to be able to walk out the things that he would have us to do in a more efficient manner. Just as silver is more valued once it's been purified and the dross melts away. You know, I remember reading a sermon uh, from Charles Spurgeon from the late 1800s, and he talked about the idea of the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of sinful man. And he talked about it in the sense that he was just awestruck every day of his life that this perfect, pure, amazing Spirit of God would stay living on the inside of a sinful, fleshly man all the days that he would walk out in this earth. In the sense that he gave the picture like he could just imagine the Holy Spirit was just leaping, wanting to just get out and say, this goes against everything in my godly nature, this nature of man. But I I choose to stay and I choose to live in this fleshly body and to bring about the work of purification in this believer, this child of God's life. And it challenged me so much to think, man, he's right. The Holy Spirit of God lives on the inside of each and every one of us that confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. How compelled should we be to want to always tidy up the place that the Holy Spirit chooses to live? Are you with me? How compelled should we be to want to allow Christ to have his purifying, God to have his purifying, purging, refining work in us and in our lives. To accept the fact that, yes, I'm saved and I'm bound for eternity, but there are a lot of things that are a part of me still and in me by the fact that I was just born into this sinful world as a child of sin that I need to deal with. But the power exists right here in me to continue to purify and purge and burn those things out of me that are foreign and have no place dwelling in the same tent where the Holy Spirit resides. You know, you've probably heard this story, but when there's a, a story where it talks about a woman that goes to watch a silversmith at work. And she's watching him hold the silver in the fire And the silversmith just holds it, and he never takes his eyes off of it, and it's perfectly positioned in the flame. It has to be exactly in the whitest hot part of the flame. And he never takes his eyes off of it, and he sees as the dross continues to melt out and sweat out, and the imperfections and the impurities melt away. And then he pulls it out at exactly the right time, and she asks him, how did you know when to take it out? And he said, well, if I would leave it in a moment too long, it would destroy the silver. But if I took it out too early, there would still be impurities and diminish the value. And she says, well, how do you know when it's exactly the right time to take it out? And he said, well, that's the easy part because I can see my image in it. Right? So I didn't make that up. That's something I read, you know, but it's a, it's a story I've heard a lot over the years that is really powerful. And it just, it just speaks to me that, look, Christ... God is always about the work of transforming us more and more into his likeness and into his image. And we are to understand that it will be a lifelong pursuit and we will never arrive at that final place until our final day of redemption when we go to stand before the judgment seat of Christ in heaven. Right? 
So let's talk a little bit about briars. Of course, dross, we understand now, are the impurities from within that are being purged and melted out of us, right, that still exist in this sinful-natured body that we have as a tent for our Holy Spirit. Briars are basically like sticker bushes and thorns. Uh, You know, I remember as a kid, I grew up in a lot of the outdoors and hunting and, and fishing and How many of you know, whenever you walk through the woods and you go through a patch of briars, in the Midwest we call them what? Cockleburs, right? What happens when you do that? They stick to you. They're all over you, right? In fact, you can't go through a patch of briars and cockleburs without getting those things all over your clothes. You just, it's impossible to do it. But it's interesting because if I was in the process of a, a stock hunt and I was looking for where I believe that animal to be, I could still clear my way through the stuff. And I remember even thinking many a times, it's like, I'll have to pick those off later, you know. But it didn't matter. I was still moving through to get to the destination that I was headed that I wanted to be. The Bible talks a lot about briars. It talks a lot about briars. And I'll, I'll show that to you in a minute in Scripture, but Basically, the briars are representative of the sin and the corruption that exists in this broken and fallen world that we walk in. Dross is the impurity and the imperfection, the sinfulness that still exists in our human flesh, right? But briars are representative of the sin and the brokenness and the darkness that exists in the world that we walk in. You know... Once you pick all of those briars off and get rid of all those cockleburs, if you walk back through that patch of briars again, what happens? You got to do it all over again, right? See, what I'm getting at here is as we walk out this life here on this earth, it's a broken, fallen, dark world. The Bible says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, right? And we walk in this place until we go to heaven. There is sin and brokenness and corruption and deception, flawed views, immorality, things all over uh, where we go each and every day. Every single one of us, none of us are uh, removed from that. And as we walk among that, it has a tendency to stick to us, to kind of latch on, to kind of try to get on us and stay on us to begin to warp our process of becoming more like the image of Christ. You know, you can, clint, you can pick all the burrs off that you can see, but how many of us know that sometimes there are certain places that you can't see, right? You can't tell everything that's on. If you rely on your own eyes you quite possibly will miss some of those burrs, those briars that have managed to stick to your clothes. So what do you do? You ask somebody else to have a look. Hey, do you see anything on the back that I missed? Do you see anything here that I'm, not, that I'm not getting off of me? You know, as we walk in this world and we go about our lives and things begin to affect us, we're not immune to this. 
It's a sinful world. And they can begin to alter our perceptions, our viewpoints, begin to change some of the things that maybe God would have us to see or be. And we have to rely on two things. One, we have to rely on the washing of the word to cleanse us and purify us, right? And to break away all of those things that have managed to latch on to us from just being a part of this world. But we also have to rely on the body of Christ, on our brothers and sisters, and be subject and open for them to see things in us that we're not necessarily seeing in ourselves, there has to be a, such a sense of humility that we can say, I, don't, I can't possibly know all of the correct answers there are to know and whether or not everything I think and the way I look at things and the way I see things and the way I go about the business of doing things is really in line with the Word of God and it is righteous and, and pure and holy. And so we have to be able to subject ourselves to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submitting to one another in the fear of God is profitable for us to do that. Now we allow God to confirm for us those things which we have subjected ourselves to allow for correction. And if it is the truth and we are open before God, He will begin to reveal and confirm those things. And we will say, Wow. I'm so glad that I was willing to listen and willing to hear those things because now I see it. It may have taken me a few days or a few weeks, but now I see it because I've been totally willing and open to allow it to be revealed and also through the washing of the word. You know, in the Bible, where there are briars overrun, there is an absence of fruit. Go with me to Isaiah 7, 23 through 25 in the New Living Translation. It says, In that day the lush vineyards, now worth a thousand pieces of silver, will become patches of briars and thorns. The entire land will become a vast expanse of briars and thorns, a hunting ground overrun with wildlife. No one will go to the fertile hillsides where the gardens once grew, for briars and thorns will cover them. Cattle, sheep, and goats will graze there. So wherever there are briars that have managed to become overrun in our lives, if we allow them to, there will be more and more of an absence of fruit in our lives that comes out of that. So we, we understand through some of the scriptures that deal with dross and that deal with briars that as we give our lives to God and he redeems us and we are bound for eternity in heaven with him, we are made right in right standing, that there is still going to be this constant ongoing process of internal purging within us of the sin nature that exists and this external washing of sin and deception that we are subject to attaching to us as we go through our lives and walk in this world. We are to realize that we can't always see the things that we need to see ourselves. And that is where we find ourselves in a proper place of humility is understanding our desperation, our significant need for the revelation of God and for his word and for his truths to be produced in us and in our spirit 
so that we can go forth boldly in the things we absolutely know to be true as they come from the Word of God. See, if we understand our desperation for God's truths and we don't put our confidence in the things in this world, it's like in the Bible in Isaiah 55, 8 where it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, I can't help but feel anything else. But God, I just want to know your thoughts and I just want to know your ways. Please, Father, reveal them to me so that I would know the way you would have me go. There is this humble, just dependent, desperate man before God, confident in nothing of this world and only in the truths that I know as the Father lays them forth. And it will cause me, it will cause us to throw ourselves at the feet of God, the feet of God in the throne room, totally abandoned to any other source or means of obtaining our knowledge and understanding of the ways that we would have our, God would have us go and of the truths that we maybe view to be the case in this world that we receive from other people. We just become totally abandoned to what God has to say about these things and we throw ourselves at the feet of God and we say, Father, I am so desperate for you. There is this sinful imperfect nature on the inside of me and I am walking in a sinful world I don't I don't trust I'm not confident enough to believe God that I will be able to figure my way out through all of these things on my own I am constantly in need of understanding from you and we throw ourselves at the feet of God but you know what the beautiful thing is is that we can boldly come to that place and receive boldly the bible says in hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 22 and this is really where the heart of my message is is where that boldness that confidence that the bible tells us we should have but that we should still have an underlying sense of humility where do we find that i'll tell you where we find that we find that at the feet of god in the throne room of his grace. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 says in the NIV, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and have our bodies washed with pure water. Where do we find that purification, that purging, that washing that we so desperately need? We find it in our prayer life. We find it in, our wor in the word, and we find it at the feet of God in the throne room of grace that he so freely gives us access to that we can walk boldly and confidently to in any situation of our lives that we come in contact and find every answer and every need that is necessary for us to walk that out, and it is fully available to you and to I, and it was that way from the beginning of time, from the beginning of time. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace 
that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God, examine my heart. Examine me, Father. I am fully surrendered to you. Use the brothers and sisters in Christ that you've surrounded me with to speak into my life. Speak to me through your word. Speak to me in my prayers. Father, examine me and show me anything that resides in this fleshly body that you would want to do away with. And I will gladly and willingly submit to that, no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. And in the process of doing that, of throwing ourselves before the feet of God, coming boldly and confidently to that throne of grace, we begin to find that holy boldness that erupts out of a humble heart. And we begin to walk forth in all boldness and confidence with a constant state of humility. How is that the case? Because our humility exists in the fact that there is absolutely nothing about us that can produce this boldness and this confidence. But our boldness is coexisting in the fact that we have come before the throne room of grace available to us and we have found the truths and the evidence and the things necessary for us that are now a conviction in our heart that there is nothing about us that would question or doubt it to be true for a moment of time. And we walk forth in that boldness and confidence that is sharp enough to cut through any darkness, any deception, any corruption, or any confusion that this world may present to you in the natural course of the life you live it will cut right through it and you will be bold and you will be confident and you will have no sense of strength in your own self but you will know that the truths that were produced in you were from God and in that throne room of grace where you found them and you have all the confidence and boldness in the world to go forth and declare it see the result of our humility of self but boldness in his grace brings that holy boldness in the truths and his nature manifesting out of us that cuts through all that darkness. You know, Luke 6, 45 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And as we allow our heart to be filled with the truths of God, then the mouth speaks with boldness and confidence the things that are truth according to the written word and in according to God's nature himself. Our boldness must always, always come. Our boldness and our confidence must always come from the understanding, the revelation of the power and truth that is in Christ that dwells in us and not in ourselves. In Isaiah 10, 15, the word says, Shall the axe boast itself against him who chops it? Or shall the saw exalt itself against him who saws with it? As if a rod could wield itself against those who lift it up, or as if a staff could lift up as if it were not wood. We are the workmanship. He is the workman. There is nothing about us to be confident or bold about. Nothing. I'm sorry to say. But the Spirit of Christ that dwells in us, that produces every essential thing that we would need, to walk out the purposes and the calling that God has bestowed upon our lives. We have every reason to be bold and confident in those truths. The power of God flows through that. And see, I introduced this question in the beginning of 
being an, uh, this constant sense, spirit of humility, but also to be walking in all boldness and confidence in the things that we know to be true. And as we, as we come to that place of humility, where we throw ourselves boldly before the throne of God and, and his grace and, and receive from him all that we need, it doesn't produce or result in some timid, weak, fearful Christian. We're fully surrendered, fully humbled before God in total dependence. By all natural eyes, looks like a very weak, timid, feared, fearful person. But where we reach that state in that place and we receive that which is available to us, it produces the most bold, confident, piercing life for Christ that will be able to make the stand against any enemy or any foe or any challenge that will come in our lives. It's the same boldness and the same confidence that erupted in David to go forth and slay Goliath. He never even thought about it. You think about that? He never even contemplated it. It was a reaction because of the boldness, not in himself, little David, there's nothing to be bold about there against a man like Goliath. There wasn't even a moment of contemplation. He went forth and slayed the giant in all boldness and confidence because he knew that what that Philistine represented defied the very nature of who God was and the purposes that he had for his children. Boldness and confidence, yet humble at the same time. So as a leader, it's my hope and my prayer that we all view ourselves with the proper understanding of, of who we are and who God is all the time. For us to be effective, for us to be able to impact the lives that we're called to lead, we have got to be bold and confident and so we can pierce through all the things that come to us in this world, but we have got to stay humble in our spirit about who we are before God. Because if we're over swayed in the area of boldness and confidence to the point it's not in God and in ourselves, it could very well come across as overconfidence or arrogance and be ineffective to those that we're called to lead. But if we're too much in the side of meekness and timidness and fearfulness, weakness, then it can come across as not the kind of strength and power that a life transformed by Christ should represent.